You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 57 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Protagonist. Protagonist is a punk band formed in 1999 in Boca Raton, Florida. Protagonist has toured with the likes of Newfound Glory, Less Than Jake, and Red City Radio. Not only is the band working on new music, but they are also celebrating the 10-year anniversary of their album, The Chronicle. Sponsoring this episode seems fitting as The Chronicle was the flagship release of Paper and Plastic Records, which is owned by our guest Vinny Fiorello of Less Than Jake. For more information on the band, check out Instagram and Twitter at ProtagonistFL and on Facebook forward slash Protagonist. You can also stream The Chronicle and all of their other releases on Spotify and Apple Music. Now here it is, Protagonist with Light the Fuse.
Hey, this is Vinny from Less Than Jake, and you're listening to uh, That One Time on Tour. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. Hey guys and girls, what's going on out there in podcast land? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I'm your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down and chat with someone in or around the entertainment industry. So thanks for joining if it's your first time, but if it's not your first time and you are a regular guest, thanks for coming back. It means a lot to me that you guys keep coming back week in and week out. So I'm going to keep trying to put out the good content for you, but let's get right into this. This is episode number 57. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, wow, man, 57 episodes. That's crazy. I just, I can't wait to get to 100. I think that's going to be a big feat, you know, and when a, when like a television show hits their 100th episode, they get excited because they're going to be rich because it goes into syndication after 100 episodes. So maybe there'll be like a syndicated podcast channel or something. I don't know. But uh, thanks again for joining us. We're going to get into this. we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. I went to a concert last night. <laughs> I went to see Hozier last night. I took my wife for her upcoming birthday. It was an early birthday present. And uh, it was sold out, and I got the tickets on StubHub, and I thought they were going to be really shitty, but they were amazing seats. We were uh, right in the orchestra pit. Like, it was it was awesome. And I got to say, I wasn't, like, the biggest Hozier fan, but I knew a lot of his songs, and the dude killed it. Like, it was it was really good. I would go see him again. And if you guys out there haven't heard Hozier, he sings that take me to church and sings a bunch of other stuff. That's really, really good. So, uh, check Hozier out. And I'm actually now considering, I'm trying to get a hold of his management team, get him on the podcast. I bet he's got some really cool stories. He's out of Ireland and I haven't had anybody from Ireland on the show yet. So, uh, we'll see what happens with that, but we had an awesome time. And, um, yeah, you guys should go check out Hozier if he comes to your area. It's a great show, and he's playing kind of mid-level theaters, like maybe two to 3,000 seats. It's not bad. It was very intimate and very cool. So, and Plus, if you're in Indiana and you haven't been to the Egyptian Room at the old National Center, that place is killer, man. I've played there before, and I've seen a bunch of shows there over the years, but that is just... 
It's a wonderful, wonderful venue, and it sounds great as well. I saw the descendants there in another room. They weren't they, they weren't in the Egyptian room, but I saw them back last August when I had uh, Stefan on the show. And uh, yeah, it's probably one of my favorite venues around here in Indianapolis. It doesn't get a lot better than the the Egyptian room over there at the old National Center. So go check out Hozier if he comes to your area. But moving on, we're going to do our housekeeping, get that out of the way really quickly. We have sponsors for this show. You know, they, they help keep the lights on. And uh, this week we have Permanence Tattoo Gallery. They're still on as a sponsor. My buddy Jacob Harrison, he was on an episode a while back. He owns that place. It's over in Anderson, downtown Anderson, Indiana on, on Meridian Street. And uh, if you guys are in this area, if you're in central Indiana, go to Permanence Tattoo Gallery and get tattooed. It's the best shop in the entire state, in my opinion. Maybe I haven't been to all the shops, but I love going over there. And Jacob's a good guy. And everybody they have working there is amazing as well. Any style that you want, they're honest. They give you a good deal. So you can check them out also online. All the social medias, it's just at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Uh, I also have to tell you about Artist Flags. They're still on as a sponsor. They are amazing. If you have a band or a company or anything, you need backdrops or scrims or anything with your logo on it, you need to hit up artistflags.com. Cody over there will take care of you. He's a great dude. Or you can check him out on all the social media platforms. It's at Artist Flags. Now, you can also, if you want to help the show out, go on over to patreon.com. I talk about Patreon all the time. It's really cool. Go to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast and you can become a patron of the show. And what does that mean? Well, it means that for $5 a month, you get to join this really cool exclusive club. You get bonus episodes. I I put up like some music from my first band the other day that no one else can get, but you guys can get it. I do all kinds of cool stuff for the patrons, and it's going to get even better. We're talking about exclusive merch for the patrons. I'm going to be doing a big contest with a piece of music memorabilia that I own that I never thought I'd get rid of, but I'm going to give it away to one of the patrons. And I can't really talk about it right now. I'm going to make sure that everything's in place, but it's it's really, really cool. And one of our patrons could win it. I'm going to ship it to you. No problem. I'm just going to pick a name at random. So uh, if you guys feel like you want to help the show, and you know you feel like there's quality in the content that I'm providing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast, or you can just go to T-O-T-O-T podcast.com and do a one-time donation. There's a little button on there. And you know, there's all kinds of stuff. There's the Amazon wish list. Buy me my dream microphone <laughs> and, and you can be my best friend for life. But uh, that's it on the Patreon. You know, if you feel like getting involved, head on over there and check it out. And uh, one of the other cool things about being a patron is that I give the patrons priority for segments that we do on the show. We've been doing this segment lately, the top five list. And uh, just like literally a half hour before I started recording this, Scott from Melbourne, Australia, one of our patrons, sent in a top five list and he jumped the line. I had another top five list coming up and I decided, nope, you know, we got a patron did it. So Scott got on here. So Scott from Melbourne, Australia, he has the top five band names. I guess they're like top five band names that he likes, most creative names or names that just roll off the tongue. So at number five, Scott has Propagandi, Propagandi. I'm not really sure how to say it. I've heard people say both. But uh, yeah, of course, they're one of my favorite bands, but that is a really cool name. It's, you know, Propaganda, Gandhi, the two together. <laughs> it's, it's a cool use of, you know, the English language. So I agree with that. At number four, 
Scott has the dead Kennedys. I, when I was young and I first saw someone had a shirt, the dead Kennedys, I didn't really, I didn't understand the implications of what they were doing. And then I one then I saw the, the album cover or the shirt or whatever that had like JFK getting shot. And I'm like, Oh, the dead Kennedys. Okay. I totally get it now. And a little side note on that. My father, uh, when I was young, it was really, really cool because when I was getting into like metal and punk rock, he, he was into it as well. One of his favorite bands was Pennywise, you know, and, and he, he, he would go into Karma Records here in Muncie, Indiana. And if they were playing like Slayer or something, he would buy the CD they were playing because he thought it was cool. Like my dad loved a lot of crazy music for being an older guy. And, uh, my dad, I was wearing a dead Kennedy shirt one time and, and my, I was trying to name my band. Which eventually became chronic chaos. But uh, my dad said, "Why don't you call your band the Dead Shitheads?" And I thought he was being kind of like, you know, like kind of giving me shit. But he said, "No." He said, "That's really punk rock and cool, and you'd make a lot of people mad if you were called the Dead Shitheads." So we were almost the Dead Shitheads. So uh, I want to I want to say thank you, Dad. Uh, my dad passed away back in two thousand five, and he was the biggest supporter of my music and my career and. I know that if he was here now, he would be my co-host on this on this podcast. So I love you, Dad, if you're up there listening somewhere. But uh, I never got to be in a band called The Dead Shitheads. Maybe that'll happen at some point. So, okay, we're going to move on to number three on Scott's list. He has the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I... I like that quite a bit, uh, and I've got a, I've got a, a, a name on my list that's kind of similar to that. But yeah, I guess you know Brian Jones, Jonestown Massacre. My wife and I have seen a couple documentaries on the Jonestown Mass- Massacre, and it's it's pretty crazy. But yeah, that uh that name gives you a lot of images. <laughs> but uh, I haven't checked them out. I need to check them out. But it's uh yeah, that's a cool band name, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Okay, on Scott's list, coming in at number two, he's got No Effects. I mean, how can you beat no effects? It's iconic. If you like punk rock, you've seen the logo. I always liked back in the day they released uh, the the sticker pack that had basically the no effects logo, but the O was like a band that inspired them, like the subhumans or the misfits or the descendants or whatever. And uh, yeah, no effects is a great, a great band name. And I just remember in different interviews, like I remember El Jefe saying like, it it means no no effects in our music <laughs> and like just people trying to you know people said no fucking straight edge or whatever but i don't know no effects is a great band name and i love them and they're one of my favorites uh moving on to his number 1 he's got nursery crimes i've never heard of nursery crimes but that is a really cool band name so uh, i'm going to have to check them out when i get off of this computer here when we get done doing this podcast i'm going to check out nursery crimes so Scott, thank you so much for sending in your top five list. Now I, I thought about this for a while and these aren't like, you know, some of them may be your favorite bands of mine. Some of them are just cool band names that I thought sounded really cool. So, uh, I'm just going to go for it. Here we go. So number five, I'm going to go with Sloan. They're a really cool Canadian band. Uh, I named my dog after the band. I have Sloan tattooed on my arm. People always think it's like an ex-girlfriend or something. I'm like, no, that's my dachshund that that passed away. And my dachshund was named after a really cool band from Canada called Sloan. So if you haven't checked out Sloan, I recommend uh, Coax Me is probably one of my favorite songs that they do. But they've got so many great songs. And all you guys up in Canada know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Sloan. So 
Number five, Sloan. Uh, number four, I'm going to go with City and Color, another Canadian guy. I just I think it's cool that his name is Dallas Green. So instead of naming, you know, the Dallas Green Band or the Dallas Green Solo Project, he went with City and Color because people would say, "What's your name, Dallas Green?" He goes, "You know, like the city and the color, Dallas Green." I always thought that was a really cool kind of way of naming a a, a solo project without. You know, I don't, I I wouldn't want to be someone that has like, if I did like a solo band, it'd feel weird to me if I went to my gig and I saw somebody wearing a shirt that just said Chris Swinney. It's just, it's, it's cooler to have a name, you know, like uh, a couple solo things that I've tried to start up in the past. I had, you know, a band called American Gothic, which was just my solo thing. And then I had a band called the Skeleton Coast, which was just me doing stuff. So I always thought it was a cool dynamic of, yeah, it's a solo thing but you put a name on it as opposed to your name. So that's why I like City and Color. Number three, I'm going to go with a band that my my old band used to play with all the time here in Indiana. They're called In the Face of War. Now, the reason that I, I picked this is because they used to go by ITFOW, which I-T-F-O-W, In the Face of War. And I always thought that was really cool, and like abbreviations for bands that had long names, you know, because there was that whole time period where all the bands had like, and you will know us by the trail of the dead, blah, 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 like, like a million words. And I always liked it when they could shorten that to like just a really cool kind of abbreviation. I mean, you know, that one time on tour, I always just refer to it as T-O-T-O-T. You've heard me say it a million times. So yeah, In the Face of War. If you guys can check them out, I mean, they're not really doing anything anymore, but some of the other guys are in different bands. Uh, I know that Ben from In the Face of War was doing that band, Uh, with Jake, who used to be in the Ataris with me. Jake was on an episode last year of the podcast. So yeah, In the Face of War, or as I like to call them, It Foul. And then coming in at number two, Pennywise, like they're an amazing band. They're one of my favorite bands. They helped kind of get me into punk rock when I was young. And I already, when I found out about them, I already knew about the Stephen King book, It. So it drew me in before I even knew what they sounded like because I knew that the clown in that that book was called Pennywise. And I think it's funny that there's the only real tie between the two is that they have a song called Pennywise on their first full length that's talking about the clown from that book, but then they kind of, it stops after that. But yeah, so Pennywise, I always thought that was a really cool band name. And I had the, the old school green shirt with like the block logo on it. And people at school were like, what is that? Like just, they had no idea what it was. And I always thought that was really cool. So yeah, number two, Pennywise. Now, number one, I could not name a song from this band. Uh, I think I've heard them a couple of times. I think maybe I saw them live or my old band played with them. But coming from Indiana, I, I really like this name. And it's it's kind of like the Brian Jonestown Massacre thing. It's John Cougar Concentration Camp. <laughs> I always thought that was a great name. I don't like I said, I know nothing about this band. They they could be utter shit. I don't know. Or they might be the most amazing band in the world. But they have a really cool band name, the John John Cougar Concentration Camp. So uh yeah, go check them out, I guess, and and maybe tell me if they're good or not. <laughs> Cause I really don't remember, but you know, living in Indiana growing up here, John Cougar Mellon camp is one of the, like the celebrity dudes, you know? So, uh, yeah, John Cougar concentration camp. So that's my top five and number five Sloan at number four city and color number three in the face of war or it foul number two, Pennywise, and number one, John Cougar concentration camp. So like I said, if you guys have a top five list, go ahead and send it to me at any of the social medias. You can hit me up 
at TOTOT Podcast. You can email me if you want to be a sponsor. If you have a band like Protagonist at the beginning, they're so good. It's the second time they sponsored an episode. You can hit me up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll figure everything out. If you guys want to leave me a voicemail that could get played on the show, I play them every once in a while. I get I get some voicemails, you know, pretty regularly, but I mean, I'm not just going to throw shit up. So call me and leave me a really cool one and it'll probably get on the show. Uh, and you can just hit me up on the hotline. It is 1-765-372-8818. So yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps us, you know, gain visibility. And uh, I just heard recently, you know, iTunes is going away. I don't know what that means as far as podcasting. I'm pretty sure that the podcast app, since it's its own like separate thing, will still exist. So uh, there'll be some way to listen to this on your Apple products. I'm not really sure what yet, but we're always available everywhere else. Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. You can always find us everywhere. So uh, that's it. I'm going to jump into my conversation. I haven't even told you who's on the show yet, but I think you probably heard the little blurb at the beginning with uh, with Protagonist, the band that sponsored the episode. But I got to sit down with Mr. Vinny Fiorello from Less Than Jake. He's kind of like the mastermind behind a lot of it. He does a lot of the lyric writing and uh, the producing. He's no longer touring with the band, but he is still in the band, and he's a huge part of why Less Than Jake is as legendary as they are as far as, you know, ska and punk and just rock and roll in general, man. I mean, they toured with Bon Jovi and we talk all about it in this conversation. So uh, I hope you guys are going to enjoy this and I will talk to you after the conversation like I always do, but I'm going to jump into it right now. This is my conversation with Mr. Vinny Fiorello from Less Than Jake. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Vinny from Less Than Jake. How are you today, Vinny? Hey, great, actually. I'm in Gainesville right now, and it's about 92 degrees and sunny, man, so there's not much to complain about. Yeah, I'm up in Indiana, and it's been kind of cold and rainy, but today it's like 75, so it's pretty nice out right now. Yeah, that's beautiful, actually. So um, I tell you what, man, I know you're busy. I want to get right into it. At the top of these podcasts, I like to ask my guests how they got into music and especially like the instrument that they play. So when you were young, <clears throat> growing up in Gainesville, you know, what made you decide that you loved music and what made you want to like play drums? Well, I'm going to I'm going to bring you back because I didn't grow up in Gainesville. I grew up in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Right? OK, so, OK. Uh, that's how come some people I'm going to sidebar real quick. Some people go, how come there's a lot of New Jersey talk? You guys are from Florida. Why is there a lot of New Jersey songs lyrically? Well, it's I grew up in New Jersey, so therefore there's a lot of mentions in New Jersey. So uh, as far as learning how to play drums and why I chose drums and how I chose music, I have a brother that's four years older than me, and one Christmas he got a guitar. And I wanted the guitar also. My brother had a moment of uh, early teen crazy and said, I am playing guitar. You cannot play guitar. You have to pick something else. So um, I was left with either wanting to know how to play piano or bass or drums, and I picked drums. Drum Drums always seem so cool. When I was young, I got a guitar when I was super young, but I had a friend that played drums, 
and he got really good at the drums and I just every time I tried it I sucked and I just I, I was really into the guitar but I always wanted to be a drummer I just couldn't make it happen you know what it's like uh, it's everyone has envy of everything else you know yeah. drummers guitar players guitar players wanted to be drummers and uh you know the, there's always a wild sort of ride that goes along with if you're playing your instrument for x amount of time there's always some i wish i i did this or i wish i started doing this yeah. at early so I, I know that you write a lot of the lyrics or most of the lyrics for less than jake was that always something you were into as well like writing absolutely i mean even from the first like sort of like aggro punk band that i was in called needless guilt right yeah. uh uh i did lyrics and it was something in me that was always a good way to exercise how i felt uh I, by nature uh i'm an introvert and uh have in the past really struggled with like different sort of inner dialogue in my head you know a negative like sort of outlook on it and that's a, one reason why I found punk rock, but uh, why I, I continued to do lyrics, I just needed something to sort of exercise what I was feeling without being self-destructive or outwardly destructive. So lyrics kind of, uh, it helped it helped exercise those demons, and it still does to this day. What were some of the bands, you said you found punk rock, what were some of the bands that got you into the genre? Well, I have to I have to split it up into two, right? Okay. So the early ones, my brother, like I said, he was uh, four years older than me. He started to go see uh, some new wave bands and some punk rock bands, and uh, so early ones that he liked that I co opted: uh, Ramones, Clash, Blondie, uh, and on the misfits being from new jersey that was like a given with sam hayne as well uh minor threat those were the early ones uh found dead kennedys and you know all the big punk bands that sort of uh they they kind of hit that checklist of of how you're feeling when you first get into punk rock music right yeah uh but that was his music it wasn't really my music so when once i started to like kind of dive into more punk rock I found the East Bay uh, punk rock scene, and that was uh, with Sweet Baby, Isocracy, The Lookout, uh, Early Green Day, uh, Sir Trout. I mean, there was a ton of them, and it was mostly from the Lookout Records catalog. Were you uh, doing like the mail order thing? Of course. Yeah. And uh, I was doing that, but I uh, threw Lookout, but I also. Uh, there was a massive mail order distro from Tucson called toxic shock. I remember that. Yeah. And toxic shock, they would send you a newspaper of like, Hey, it's this band and it's this thing. So check it out, you know? And I remember, uh, reading operation Ivy and the explanation of what it was. And it was ex members of sewer trout and, and other lookout bands that I liked. And I remember getting the seven inch, uh, and I remember being blown away by it. And I remember diving so headfirst into Op Ivy that it was insane. But at the same time, uh, Chicago pop punk scene was kind of busting out. And that was, you know, Screeching Weasel for sure. And the Vindictives. And <clears throat> that's started to form what I liked and how I wrote music and how 
the content of that like sort of lyrical thing yeah. uh, was crafted. So it's definitely uh, the roots of of the style and the inspiration comes from the the East Bay uh, in California and uh, the Chicago pop scene. So you know, less than Jake is a punk band, rock band, ska band, whatever you want to call it. You guys do have horns. Where did the ska influence come from? What were some of the first bands of that like ilk that you actually found out about and really liked? Well, you want to know what's weird? It's that the the thing that really drove us to add a horn section really uh there was a band from england called snuff oh i love snuff and, man yeah they're great and it was before they signed a fat and no one knew who they were in the states and i remember getting tape trading with somebody and uh from bradington uh in florida and i remember on one side it was the Doughboys, on the other side was snuff and i remember listening to this fast pop punk and it had this trombone and i went to chris i went uh, Chris is the guitar player and yeah. one of the singers. I, and I went, dude, we have to do a band, but it has to be like this. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And I was like, we should add, like op, like I said, Op Ivy was a big thing for me, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we should add, you know, some like Op Ivy and we should add like some like specials vibe to it and like really combine these things together and see what we could do. I don't know like what it is. And we started to experiment and uh, early on it was very much like a screeching weasel sort of heavy influence. And then it just dropped into, we're going to add a little sky here. And you got to remember there was no blueprint for ska punk music. Yeah. Uh, there were the boss tones, but they were more on the rock side and it wasn't very hyperactive. You had fishbone and you had op Ivy, but again, they were a different headspace. What we were going for, we were trying to blend ska music and we were tr and blending that with chicago pop punk or east bay pop punk yeah I, I will say that you know i'm a little bit younger than you not much I, I just turned 40 and my first entrance into anything ska at all was you guys in the band mustard plug and, yeah and when i heard it i was i'd always loved reggae and you know ska is kind of just sped up reggae if you want to get technical about it and when I heard you guys and I heard like the clean upstroke guitar stuff and then I heard Mustard Plug, it changed me. Like I was never in a ska band, but I, I got into a lot of the lookout stuff. I got into, you know, bands like Hepcat. Like I got into a lot of bands that I probably wouldn't have heard of if it wasn't for you guys. That's awesome. You know, and, and that was the beautiful thing at that point in time where you could go, well, I like this band well, if you like this band, you definitely like this band. Yeah. And you, you kind of dove in on a whim. Well, I heard it, and there was no other way to kind of listen to it. So you either traded with somebody and, and kind of on a dupe cassette, or uh, you went to the record store and bought it. And I bought a lot of things on a whim that I never, I didn't know what it was, but I had heard that it was similar to some other things. And I went to the record store and I purchased it, and it turned out to be, some of, of, of huge records for me, massive record. I, I've told this story on the podcast before, but I was, when I was very, very young from like seven on, I was into Metallica. My uncle got me a master of puppets tape and I just thought it was kind of like my own little secret. And I always saw the picture of cliff wearing the Misfits shirt, but it just had the crimson ghost. It didn't say the misfits or anything. So when I was maybe nine or 10 years old, I went to a record store and I saw the CD that had the crimson ghost and I bought it on a whim 
And so I was like a 10 year old Ken rocking out to the misfits and I loved it, man. I've been a fan ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's that there's a certain coolness to digital music now, right? So you have Spotify and you could discover a lot of things off of interest that you're listening to. You have a vast catalog of music at your fingertips and it's a cool time to be a listener and a lover of music. But back when I first got into punk rock music, uh, it was beautiful, man. Like you are reading the lyrics and it's this, you know, this format that you're looking at the thanks list and the thanks yeah. list said these. And you find out about bands band. through the thanks list. I found out some of my favorite bands from reading like no effects albums and different things that they thanked other bands. 100% man. And, and that's the, that was to me the beautiful, uh, the beautiful thing about a physical product, you know, yeah. <laughs> whether CD or, or cassette or LP, you know, seven inch. Now I I know that uh you know you you do paper and plastic. I knew at one point when I was actually in the Ataris a while back. Um I I don't know if this was true or not. If Chris said we were talking to paper and plastic about putting something out. Now, you know, do you ever feel like vinyl is going I know it's made a major comeback, but do you think that physical copies and things like that are going to become more mainstream or do you think it's just kind of you know, people that love music and they, you know, obsess over music like you and I do, it's going to get good for that, but not maybe the mainstream people are just going to use Spotify and listen to singles. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what happens now. I yeah. think that they, uh, 2008 to, you know, maybe a few years ago, there was a, this vinyl bubble where it didn't matter who the band was. If you released something on vinyl, someone would be like, Ooh, vinyl, let me buy it, you know? And, uh, that bubble definitely bursts. I think that more and more people, the ease of, of digital music wins out on anything. Of course, you're a fan. You want to own, uh, have that ownership. But I find that most people these days are, are not really worried about the ownership side of music. They're into the listening side of it yeah. more than the owning side of it. And that's what digital music is. It's You have this massive amount of of ones and zeros that are at your disposal and you go, yeah, you know, I, I don't know who Billie Eilish is, but I can find out real quick and listen to, you know, her new record. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk to you about the forming since, you know, we're talking about all this future stuff. Let's go back to, in my mind, a better time in music. Uh, you guys formed in 1992. What was the, like the way that you guys met? Did you guys all know each other? Uh, I knew Chris from high school, Chris, and that was down in Port Charlotte. Uh, Chris moved up to the university of Florida in Gainesville, three hours North. Uh, and he used to come home. We were in, you know, punk bands before together in high school. Uh, he left and he would come home on the weekend sometimes. And we just started jamming and started writing songs. And, uh, we wound up doing a demo under the name less than Jake uh, and probably about a half a year after he started coming home, I moved up to Gainesville and I started to go to college there. What were you, uh, what were you studying in college? A special education. Okay, cool. So, uh, we wound up, you know, just continuing the band and, uh, found Rod. We had another bass player. He left. Raj came in as a guitar player, but he said, oh, yeah, I'll learn how to play bass. And, I mean, he, he's uh, such a gnarly bass player, dude. It's crazy, yeah. right? So it's like, but he, you know, cut his teeth on 
being a guitar player first and foremost in the high school. And then, you know, uh, we met through a, uh, one of Chris's roommates, uh, met through just a, a, a Chris's roommate as a friend. That's it. It's wow. crazy. So you, uh, no, keep, keep going. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut no, I was just saying that, you know, uh, once you're sort of in that and then you start to, as the band idea started to form about what it was, you added more horns and, and some horn players would leave and then others would, you know, would stay and continue and you'd get, you know, more. And it is what it is today. And it's been a, a pretty solid lineup of, of everybody for, you know, 18 years or whatever it's been. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of research before these interviews and normally Wikipedia is kind of the go to place. And I think it said there'd only been maybe three or four ex members. So, I mean, in the 27, 28 years you guys have been together, that's that's stellar, man. Yeah, it's great. It's definitely it's definitely uh, a very wild ride, you know, because early on we were like kind of switching people out and trying other people for a little bit and then they would leave. Uh, so, like I said, it's been, you know, a, a really uh, for the last 18 ish, 19 years, uh, the same lineup. So you guys, you said that you, you did a demo you know, Pezcore, which is the debut full length, came out in 1995. Uh, it was like on Dill Records and Asian Man. Was it the same release or was that, did it go to Asian Man later? Well, it's, it was, you know, Mike Park uh, was part of Dill and he was in Skank and Pickle at the time. Uh, and when he left Skank and Pickle, he said, hey, I'm going to start my own record label. And that was Asian Man. So it was the same release, <coughs> just second record label. Uh, and, uh, it was just we followed we followed mike park to his something new so what, uh, what was the process of like meeting mike did you guys play a show with skank and pickle and he liked the demo right away like how did you guys get hooked up with him well it was uh, we played show we played plenty of shows with skank and pickle uh and then he started the misfits of ska uh compilation and uh he had asked us to be on it and that just started you know a friendship and and the relationship was, hey, what are you guys doing for this? And you got to remember, like, even though it was our debut record, uh, we had so many releases prior to Pezcore, so yeah. many seven inches. Uh, you know, so we were fairly seasoned before and fairly known as far as uh, a band that, that had released a bunch of music and had a bunch of reviews and were kind of riding a, a, a wave, a new wave uh, of, of kind of in the punk scene. So for a, for a while during that time, we felt like outsiders, uh, even though we were on one of the, the more respected punk labels, no idea records at the time, uh, we still felt kind of at a place in the punk scene. And with Mike Park, he embraced us for who we were and what, and he could see what was coming in the future. So it was awesome. No ideas right there in Gainesville, correct? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, and I know like Small Brown Bike. I'm trying to think of all the bands I listened to on No Idea. Man, back in hot, the day. hot Water Music. Hot I Water guess. Music, hell yeah, man. <laughs> were you were you guys tight with those guys? We still know. At the time, you know, we were friendly, but I mean, since they've been around forever, it's we know those guys really well now. It, it's kind of crazy. Like, I, I've got a little outline here. I want to go on a tangent, though, like, the amount of good music and just kind of counterculture stuff that came out of Gainesville. Is there, 
I have a, a fan qu- or not a fan question, listener question, which I normally do at the end, but I'm going to bring it up right now. Julian from Canada, he he wanted to know how coming up in the Gainesville scene was for the band, and how did it, how did it like affect the band and your ideals? Well, you know, it's it really Gainesville scene showed us that you can do everything yourself and still be uh, a successful band, right? So. Yeah. You know, for a lot of tours and a lot of shows, we booked them ourselves and we would come home from tour and we would uh, screen a bunch of T-shirts and we were doing our own merch. And it was it was wild doing mail order at the same time. I mean, we joke and went that we could have easily been arrested for mail fraud at any point in time. Yeah. Like because, you know, we would get a ton of mail and a ton of orders and we'd be on tour. And it would be weeks until we would get back from tour. Then we would have to go right into mail order and get everyone's orders together and then send them out. And then we did that same process over and over and over again, right? Like, it was crazy. Uh, so Gainesville, a, a very do-it-yourself type of scene. It taught us that, you know, to be hands-on in every component possible, and which we were, which we still are. Uh, and to be honest, it, it forced us to try harder because uh, we were met with a lot of resistance locally for playing ska music. Yeah. Uh, so it made us uh, push ourselves to get out of Gainesville, to go a- and break away from the Gainesville scene because it wasn't embracing who we were, you know? So you had less than Jake shows in Gainesville and then you had Gainesville punk scene shows in Gainesville and it was decidedly uh, two separate entities, you know? So we were bringing a whole new vibe and new blood to what Gainesville was, was what was going on and what was happening. So you guys, the, the thing that I'm interested in the jump after Pez core in 95, you guys signed to capital now I, I know you know bands all the time go from indie labels to major labels, but what was the courtship like with Capital, and how did that all come about? You know, all of a sudden <clears throat> we had this fucking crazy dude show up, like full of manic energy. His name was Craig Aronson, and sometimes he would have this guy Lauren Israel with him that was like a scout. Other times uh, he would just show up by himself, and dude would show up at random times on like. Uh, some tours and just talk a mile a minute and about like he works at Capitol now and he wants to do this. And he want and we were like, dude, whatever, man. Like we're out here, we're doing whatever. And uh, just he was tenacious about it, man. He, like, his tenacity for wanting to work together was like, well, fuck, man. Like here's this guy. He keeps on coming around. It could be our like moment to be able to go above and beyond preaching to the the choir, so to speak. You know, it's like the punk music, people who like punk music already knew who Less Than Jake was and already decided, yes, I like Less Than Jake or no, I do not like Less Than Jake. So going to Capitol, it it was a moment where we could branch out of the punk scene and try to reach other people from all different walks. And, uh, it doesn't really have to do with it now, but back then distribution was everything. Oh yeah, right? definitely, definitely, yeah. Uh, now Spotify is everywhere, and distribution 
is no secret, right? But back then, you needed someone who could get you in every store, whether it be an independent record store or a chain store like Tower Records or FYE or whatever, right? So uh, for me, uh, it was a no-brainer to go to Capital because they have the distribution that could get us in every single store in every single city. So let's do this. What was, was there, you know, you said people in the punk scene, you know, liked you or didn't like you. They'd already made up their mind. And I know that when bands sign to majors, there's normally some blowback. Was there a lot of, you know, issues with fans kind of being upset? Oh, there was very, there is very minimal blowback at the time. And that was because you either had people who were like, I like the band, so it doesn't matter where they are, or I don't like the band, so I really don't care where it is. It wasn't this like, it wasn't, well, here's the poster boys for punk rock music, and now they're going to a multinational corporation, and this is this is everything they stood for, you know, and it's against everything they stood for and everything they said. I mean, we never said anything like that. We just said, hey, we like to party, and we like to have a good time, and we like fucking pop punk and ska, so, like, come on out, you know, roll out and do the show and do whatever, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and we we never we didn't base our whole existence on any genre, and we never based it, based our existence on any uh, scene. And we were just less than Jake, right? Like, uh, and that's how we kind of uh, viewed it. Well, I mean, you guys put out a record that my friends and I used to listen to all the time. It was the Greased EP with all the songs from the Grease soundtrack. Oh yeah. What I mean, this is way down in my notes, but I'm very interested because I used to listen to it all the time. I'm sure there was probably some issues getting the rights. I think at one point, like they didn't they re-release it or something. Like there was there an issue when you guys wanted to put that out? You know what? It's uh, it, it's kind of crazy because that was another like sort of weird mail order thing where we're like, hey, we're gonna do a Slayer cover seven inch, and we didn't even have anything recorded. And then hey, we're gonna do the Grease soundtrack and. Uh, we had that on uh, our little like sort of form flyer that this was coming soon. This is coming soon. And there was a point where we we're like, well, man, we've said for like a year that the Grease soundtrack is coming soon. I guess we're going to have to learn the songs and record it now. Like we said it like, so we have to do it. And uh, we went in one day and recorded some demos for some upcoming music. And we did the Slayer record and, uh, the Slayer seven inch and we did the grease soundtrack and we really didn't worry about the copyright. We thought, Hey, this is going to be under the radar. No one's going to care about it. Uh, we're going to put it out and then it's going to be over with. Yeah. And, uh, and it still exists in some way, shape or form today still. Right. But I own it. I own a physical, yeah. physical and, copy, <laughs> but, uh, it, it it was done so casually and so like fun and in the spirit of what it was that like, it was just cool. It was just cool to do it, man. Like, and it, it kind of blew my mind that after the fact that, Oh, we just did this and this is, this is crazy. But at the time, that's what we were going for. We were going for, let's put out these fun releases and we're going to put it on vinyl whether it's a cheese uh, cheese shaped record or whether it's a, a vinyl record that's packaged in a, a pizza box or whether it's a grease soundtrack or a Megadeth split, it didn't. We just wanted to do 
what was fun and what was in the spirit of who the band was. Yeah. Which was we're, we're here to sort of bridge a lot of gaps and have a lot of fun in the, in the, in that meantime. Right. Do, do you own like every release you guys have put out? Cause I know there's a lot of collectors out there. I've done some research and there was a, there was an Instagram account where they post like a different less than Jake vinyl release every day. Yeah. I, I, I own every record, every variation. And in some cases, multiple copies of that variation. That's awesome. I always wondered that because, you know, some bands like, you know, like we know we were talking about hot water music, Gainesville band. They, you know, this, the guy, uh, bass player for Silverstein, Billy, he has like an insane, like 2000 piece hot water music vinyl collection. And I always wondered if like Chuck and those guys have all of those records or if they even, you know what I mean? Like if they're collectors. Yeah, I, you know, yeah it's crazy. I, I am a, a big vinyl collector anyway. And, uh, I'm just a, a less than Jake, like merch person. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have, you know, anything that we've done, I, I have it. And sometimes the only reason why I wouldn't have it is that someone lost it or a fan, you know, this guy had hit, hit me up and went, my house had burnt down and I lost my copy of a picture disc of hello rock view. Uh, it was put out by drive through. Uh, do you have any more? I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? It's like, that was a decade ago. I don't have that. And I, you know, I think he's like, well, like, you know, and gave me the reason why it meant so much. And it really kind of went, here's a fan, man. Like, and this is means so much that I just took out of my collection and, and sent it to him because, uh, it means more to that dude than, it does sitting to me sitting in a, a closet or now a storage space, you know? Well, I think that that says a lot about you, man. Like everybody kind of likes to keep their accolades around the house. Like, you know, the small amount of success that I've had in the music industry, I've got things hanging on the wall and everything, but yeah, if, if somebody wanted it and it was going to actually serve a purpose more than collecting dust in my room, I think I'd probably do the same thing. Absolutely, man. I mean, I weird that when about, Six years ago, when I moved into my new place, I took almost everything out uh, that I've done and created and put it other places just so when I go home, there's like a clean slate and I'm not sort of staring at it, thinking about the past, like, and making me think about the future. And and I wanted that, you know, because for so long I was surrounded by, cause I do toys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, surrounded by 250 toys and thousands of records. And I just needed that moment of, okay, I, I don't need to have all this stuff reminding me about what I did, know what I did. Let me, let me pull it to somewhere else, you know? So, so I have a tattoo shop in Gainesville. That's where my toys are at. They're part, you know, I have, uh, you know, I put a lot of my lesson J memorabilia. It's in a storage space and, uh, it just, it, it's safe and it's awesome there. And my daughter will love it. And one day, uh, you know, I've, I occasionally go through it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, damn, we've done a lot of cool shit, you know? And, and it's awesome. 
my my wife always gives me gives me shit. She's like, when I walk into your little, because I have a little like podcast studio where I'm like, I have instruments and everything, and she's like, when I walk in, it's like a shrine to your life. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's my little piece of heaven. You know, it's where I put all my stuff. Absolutely, man, and I get and I get that. And for the longest time, I I was with you 100 percent on it, and then I started to like dwell too much on what was and not enough on what is. Yeah. And I, I needed to make a break with that. Well, as my kids are getting older, they're taking over spots in my studio. So I'm, I'm getting ready to probably store a lot of stuff. Yeah, man, totally. When you're a dad, you know, it's got the kids come first. My, my old memorabilia from my life can go sit in the closet somewhere. Dude, I, I I'm with you on that. And I understand I'm a dad of a seven year old daughter. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm, I have this, like, I just did a, uh, a monkey assassin. It's one of the characters that, uh, I've done in the past. Uh, and Funko released that monkey assassin as a pop and I got it. And as soon as I'm opening the box and I'm looking at it and my daughter like walks behind me and is like, Ooh, can I have that? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Here, take it. Yeah. I know it's weird. Like I, I have that issue all the time. Like, I'll be doing something or I'll be, you know, I don't even know, even my phone, I'll be looking and my son will come up and go, can I look at your phone? Like, yeah, here it is. <laughs> like, it's just, they, exactly. they can do whatever they want, man. They're, they're the best. So. Agreed. Uh, so I just, uh, I'm very interested in this and I, I hopefully you'll have something cool to say about it. Uh, I just had Lindsay from Frenzel Rom on the program a while back and he told me that their first tour of the States was the race around Uranus tour with you guys in yeah. Blink-182 back in 97. And he told yeah. me that I should ask you about that tour because he said you probably had some good things to say about it. You know, it's one, it's one of those things where it was us and Blink, Frenzel was opening. And it was right when Blink uh, started to kind of like uh, creep up the radio aspect of it. And dude... It, Frenzel, I, I never met any band that partied harder than Frenzel Rob. <laughs> yeah. Like, Lindsay had some good stories, man. And and I couldn't believe it, man. I couldn't believe how hard they partied and how awesome they were, but how like sort of like weirdly precise they are musically, but how much of like sort of like don't give a fuck off stage and like kind of like you know super sarcastic and like razor sharp wit man it was awesome yeah <laughs> is there any like good little tidbits any tour stories you could tell about that run you know what i the 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 run that that run was good and i i don't have a lot of memories with that i do have memories though of being on tour with friends of rom in australia and just you know uh jay taking a bunch of ecstasy and being out of his mind, man. Like, and I, I, at a certain point, I just was like, I, I can't believe that here I'm sitting across from this dude. And he like took like, you know, like a, a handful of ecstasy and like <laughs> right out, you know? So, uh, you know what? It, it's for me, like tour stories always are, kind of like a, a, a throwback to it. But so with, with friends Rom specifically, man, like we have a song called J basically Jay Frenzel. Right. And it's about Jay Frenzel taking a two by four to the side of our bus on, on warp tour during a warp tour and uh, the whole thing that unfolded. So 
if you if you're listening to this and you want to know the story and the best horror story, well, it's set the music and it's called Jay Frenzel. It was on our B side record called B is for B side, and you could check it out. Awesome, man. Well, speaking of touring, there was something that I remember when I found out about this, I thought it was pretty crazy. It was back in 2000. You guys got tapped to open for Bon Jovi. How did, how did that come about? You know what? It was, it was crazy because there was a certain point where Bon Jovi hadn't been in the public eye for a very, very, very long time. They had recorded the crush record uh, and it hadn't gone to radio yet. So uh, they were planning, you know, a comeback tour and they were going, okay, let's, let's, we want a young band and, and figure it out. And they approached, you know, Eve six and they approached SR 71 and a bunch of other bands. And they were like, fuck no, we're not going to open up for Bon Jovi. We're on the radio, man. Like we're fucking big shit. Uh, bon Jovi. Who's that? Like whatever. Right. And, uh, as metalheads, I mean, dude, Chris, Chris, uh, the makes is a monster when it comes to metal knowledge. It's crazy. Yeah. He's like a fucking mutant, right? When it comes to that, there there was so, a, there was a night on one warp tour when I I met him and I think we talked about Iron Maiden and Metallica for like four hours after the barbecue. <laughs> dude, one hundred percent. He's a fucking mutant with that, right? So, yeah. dude, when we were given the opportunity, hey, like, would you guys, you know, maybe want to tour Bon Jovi? We were like, sign us up, deal's done, and. That dude, we were immediately. It wasn't how much are we going to get paid or what's going to happen or what. We were like, yeah, we're, we'll definitely do it. Sign us up for it. What was it like? Stadiums or like was it? Since it was a comeback tour, I mean, was it still it, like it, big? It was it was arenas. Okay, right. So, but still, dude, that's you know thirteen to twenty one thousand people sold out every night. It was crazy. What What was the response like from the crowd? I mean, dude, they were showing up in the middle of our set, you know, like yeah. there was a lot, there was people that were there obviously, but you know, we were, we were entrance music, but there's some people that were there. And, and to this day, I still see some people that knew us, got to know us by that Bon Jovi tour. Right. That's awesome. And it was crazy because some people were like, who are these lunatics that are on stage right now? Chris would be dressed up in like some like kind of weird getup. And, uh, we would just go, you know, we would go out there and play 30 minutes and then 30 minutes, uh, set up for Bon Jovi. Then Bon Jovi would come out and play for like two and a half hours, all the hits and all the new hits and all the old hits. It was awesome. So when you guys are approaching a tour like that, I want to ask about just in general anyway, but when you're approaching a tour like that, where maybe, you know, you're trying to put your best foot forward, I guess, cause those people maybe are more mainstream, whatever. Do you guys, is it hard to choose a set list, especially for 30 minutes? Dude, at that time, there was no like kinder, gentler, less than Jake. It was still very fast and very aggressive. So, and especially compared to Bon Jovi. So dude, it didn't matter if we did all of our slow songs. Yeah. It'd still be three times faster and a million times angrier, <laughs> even in our happiest moment than Bon Jovi song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, like nowadays, like being a band as long as you guys have and having, you know, as many releases and as many songs as you guys have, is there a process that you can tell me about in picking a, a set list? You know what? It's, it's really whoever wants to take up the rain and 
push for a song. That's how it usually was in the past, you know? Like, so uh, it, it was finding a song that everyone could agree on and kind of going, okay, everyone else, okay, cool. And then uh, throw another song out and then it would be like, I don't want to play it. I want to play it. I don't want to play it. And then, okay, we won't play it and then move on to it. So uh, you have your standards that you have to play and then you try to push in other tunes that make, you know, diehards and uh, happy, yeah. you know, and, and make yourself happy at the same time. Are there, are there any songs that like you guys would pull out that you hadn't played for a long time? Like, do you guys, you know what I mean? Like when, like yeah. I'll just use Metallica as like an example, they have their tuning room. So sometimes they'll just surprise the crowd with some rare song from back in the day. Did you guys have like a list of songs that everyone knew and it was pretty tight or did you just, can you just play anything from the catalog whenever you want? You know what? It all depends on what time period you're talking about because there was a moment where we, you know, we could play the, the complete catalog because we relearned the complete catalog in 2006 for six record shows. So, dude, like we could play, oh, play this song. Okay. We could totally play that plus the B sides, right? Yeah. So we had, we had it down and then you start to go, like anything you know and i'm guilty of it more more so than whoever it's like dude i just want to go out there and play the songs people are stoked on i don't want to go out there and play a, a song that five people are stoked on <laughs> and and 745 people don't fucking know yeah, you know yeah, yeah totally man and and people have different headspaces about that you know and that was always my headspace uh right or wrong i don't fucking know but like uh, I always went, I just want the A's. Don't give me anything, but just go out there and like clobber them with all the A sides. So with you guys being a band for as long as you have, it's almost like a generational thing. I'm sure that you probably are now seeing, you know, three generations of less than Jake fans. You've got like grandfathers and fathers and, and, and mothers and sons and daughters. I mean, is it crazy to think that you guys are still doing this this far in? No, I mean, uh, and you know, to be a, to be as transparent as possible as a dad, right? Like, I never thought that I would be a dad and still be in a band. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I I never thought that. You know, it, it's weird to see somebody that was around in 1996 who now is bringing their kid to the show. Yeah, it, it, it's <clears throat> excuse me, it's super cool. But at the same time, it's it's super weird, man. <laughs> it's got it's got to be weird, man. So, um, well, me let me see where was that your your relationship with Fat Records? That's the like kind of the big thing with me. Like you know, I know Mike and all those guys. Did you guys play shows with them? What was how did that relationship start back in the day? You know what? It started because uh, we needed a home to go to after we were in the middle of recording. Borders and Boundaries for Capitol Records. Capitol Records had a new president that came in and he basically said, hey, you could come, we could release this record and I'm not really going to do much because it, it, it's not really the, the type of music that we want to do anything with yeah. going forward. Or you could take the record paid for and you could go do whatever with it. And we went, 
Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, we'll take the record, you know, and then fat had to pay like some, like a, some money for the recording or whatever it is. I don't recall the price, but we jumped at it. What, like why be somewhere on a major where like no one's really like gives a shit yeah. and fat yeah. went, yeah, man, we, we totally want to do this. And we hadn't really, we never played a show with no effects prior to that. You know, I, I never met Mike. We did some like warp tours and things like that, but I, it wasn't like we were, fa- we were great friends. So they actually just like, when you say they, they gave you the recording, they already paid for it. They gave you the rights to the masters and everything. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, publishing and masters, like that's where it's at. I, I, and I mean, that's a, a big record. I, I, that record's amazing. So that's great that you guys got that. That's crazy. Dude, you know, but go with this. If we stayed around on capital, they would have had to spend another four hundred thousand dollars going to radio. Yeah. And why do that? So on a punk, you know, on a punk band, you know, punk ska band, they saw it as, dude, we're stoked. We don't have to spend that money. Take the record. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Okay, so uh, I've had you on the phone for quite a while. I have a couple listener questions, and I'm going to let you be on your way. So uh, Bob from California, and I knew this was going to come up, so I, I saved it for, for the listener questions. Bob from California wants to know, is the band really named after your parrot? Mm, the dog that I had was named Jake. It was an English bulldog. Okay. That dog was treated better than anyone else in my entire family. My, my parents would make specific meals for that dog, like <sighs> making steaks for the dog. We're doing the dog had a place on the couch that no one else was allowed to sit. That dog's name was Jake and everything in my house was less than Jake. That's where that came from. That's I don't know where he got parrot from. Maybe it says parrot online. I'm not sure. But yeah. So it was a dog. So, was so Bob from California. It wasn't a parrot. It was a dog. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Frank from Delaware wants to know why you decided to step away from touring back in 2018. Uh, well, uh, I have. We just were discussing the reason why. Really, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? I have a daughter that's seven. Uh, I've been on the road since she has been born uh, six months, a year away. And while I was gone last summer, uh, she was diagnosed with dyslexia. uh, And I felt that from being in the background of special education and uh, just being gone so much, man, I, I felt that I needed to step up to the plate and, and, and be a different parent that, to my daughter, you know, and, uh, really kind of embrace fatherhood. Unlike I have been, you know, and I haven't been a bad father by any means, right? Like always an attentive dad and always, and no matter what supportive, but I wanted to be a different type of dad. I wanted to be present. I wanted to be here for everything. I wanted to be here for every holiday and every birthday and I didn't want to have that connection on FaceTime. Yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be here and be present and help her get over, you know, a, a reading disability, uh, 
and and be around for the victories, man, and be around for the defeats. Uh, being gone all the time and then coming home and then rushing around to get everything else done, I, I, I couldn't do that, man. And uh, it was it was hard because it's choosing between the things that you love most in the world. Yeah. So uh, thankfully, uh, you know, saying that to everybody in the band and kind of, you know, explaining what's up and trying to figure out how to go forward without sort of that, you know, me on the drums on tour. Uh, it's been it's been good and it's been positive, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm glad because it, it's hard to be home knowing that the thing that you were part of pushes forward you know like especially because of the lyrics you know like yeah. i mean i think i think that would be hard because like you are the primary songwriter as far as lyrics and whatnot and you're a big force in that band you've been there since day one so it's it's got to kind of be this weird thing where you're home with your kid you're doing what you need to do to be a good dad but they're out there like right now they're in europe correct yeah they're switzerland you know and it's crazy because i do the social media uh for the band so you know, I post everything and do I know where they are and I see videos every night and like, it's like, I'm there in fucking spirit, man. And that's the only thing that I could say. It's like the songs that I had part of in the 27 years of musical input, that shit lives on forever, man. And it's living on in Switzerland tonight, man. And without me, but still with me. And I mean, that's I, I think that's a, that's a great situation. A lot of people, you know, like, one of the reasons I'm not on tour right now is because I'm, I, I have a couple kids and then I just, I felt like it wasn't my place. And plus being away from my kids just doesn't work. Like I, I just can't do it. So I think it's such a cool thing that your bandmates understood where you were coming from and you get to be home and be the dad, but then you also get to be a part of this huge thing that you guys built and created over the years. Yeah. You know, I, I, you, you know, I forget. And, and when you were saying that it just dawned on me, it's like, it's about the moms though, too. It's that every time I would leave on tour, my wife essentially became a single mom, yeah, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and it's, it's, it became really evident to me that like, you know, I've been married before this, is my second marriage and not to get into like my like bullshit. Right. But like, dude, I, I, I want to be the guy that's present. It's just, I happen to be married to music Yeah. before. You know, and I'm still married to music. I just have to take this moment of my life and and be present in, in the people I love's life and because I've been overly present in my other love, which is, is less than Jake. Yeah, I, I think that's great, man. And uh, I, a lot of respect for doing that because, like I said, I'm a father as well. And I mean, even being gone for a day or two, I just I feel weird not seeing my kids, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And, and dude, you know what? It's like, I, and, and what I'm saying and what I do is not necessarily, you know, shining a light on other people that are touring that are dads because yeah. people do that and can balance that. No problem. You know? And dude, I balanced it for seven years. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it just came, there was a lot going on at this one moment. And I went, this this needs this pull away needs to happen for this foreseeable future you know 
Well, I, I just think it's great that uh, you guys are, you know, so close and such good friends. They're like, yeah, man, do what you got to do. And we're going to soldier on. I think that's really cool. Yeah, because their love is less than Jake, you know, like that's the whole thing. It's like it's very odd, man, because you build something and then you have to keep it going. The end, the engine still has to be, you know, tuned up and the, the gas has to be poured in the car and it has to be pushed on, man. And like, it, it's, it's awesome, man, that, that, that's still happening, you know? And I wish that I be in Switzerland tonight, man. I'll be honest with you. But, uh, at the same time, I'm going to go in two minutes, I'm going to go watch my daughter in her first swim lesson. So, uh, I wouldn't have been home for that. So it's a balance and it's sacrifice on both sides. I applaud people who could be away. And I applaud people who can stay and be a part too. Nothing's the only thing that's right. It's what's right for me, not what's right for anybody else or what's wrong for anybody else. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, I'll tell you what, I got one more uh, listener question. We're going to end it on a, on a upper. <laughs> a higher yeah. note. Um, so Andy from Wisconsin wants to know out of all the festivals you've played in the world, do you have a favorite? My favorite was, uh, the Reading Festival, uh, and right outside of London. Yeah. Uh, the first time that we were on a massive festival was the first time that we were on a main stage. Uh, it was a moment that video was crazy that that could happen, but, uh, there's 90,000 people there and, uh, 25,000 people jumping and going fucking ape shit in the middle of Gainesville rock city. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, it, it stays and will stay with me for the rest of my life. How amazing that was. And it was just a, a, a moment, man, that, that can never be replaced. That's awesome, man. Well, what is coming up in the future, not only for the band, but as well as you, I know you got, you have a lot of irons on the fire. You said you've got the tattoo shop. I know you, you make the toys you've is paper and plastic doing anything right now. Paper and plastic. Yeah, man. I mean, that's what I do. The toys under it's called wonderland war as well. But, uh, I have, uh, I just actually over the week of this past weekend dropped two toys. They both sold out. Uh, one of them was a, uh, margarita, uh, colorway of the science guy. Uh, and then, uh, <clears throat> uh, the other one was a clear skull Yoda influence for, uh, for May the Force, awesome, May man. the Fourth, yeah. Awesome. So uh, then I have a few records that are coming out. Actually, summer and fall are the busy times for uh, paper and plastic. So I have uh, four LPs coming out for different bands and a few LP, a few EPs. So uh, actually it's weird it's kind of getting ready to start announcing them uh so i don't want to give too much away but uh smart bomb being one of the bands i'm going to release ep4 after the fall postage uh divided heaven ep westbound train i mean Divi divided heaven's actually been a sponsor on this show they're awesome man yeah lot, lots of very cool and lots of very fun records that are coming up between now and November. Cool. Any uh, word on any new less than Jake stuff coming out? Uh, I think it's if I 
am hearing correctly, November will be like woodshed and like some like demo slash studio time. So I would think early next year. Cool. That sounds great, man. Well, uh, what are your socials, your web presence? So my listeners can check everything out. Well, less than at less than Jake everywhere, basically, uh, for, for the band and the dudes for me, it's wonderland war. That's W U N D E R L A N D W A R. Uh, that's wonderland war at, on Instagram and it's less than Vinny Twitter. And you can kind of check what I'm doing. I'm really active on Instagram. So I would go there and kind of check out the toys that I'm doing and some of the weirder things that I've uh, been getting myself into. Awesome. Well, Hey man, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, when that new record comes out, you got to come back and talk to us again. Okay. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Yep. Have fun at the swim lesson, man. Thanks brother. Talk to you later. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Vinny Fiorello of Less Than Jake. I had a wonderful time speaking with Vinny, and hopefully in the future when uh, Less Than Jake releases a new record or he's got some new stuff going on at Paper and Plastic or whatever, we'll get him back on for a part two. I want to make sure that you guys are supporting all of Vinny's endeavors. He's doing, he's making toys. He's releasing records by bands. He's doing so much cool stuff, so go check all of that out. And... um that's it. I'm going to jump out of here, man. It's, it's, it's been a good episode and I'm ready to go to sleep. I have to go to work tomorrow and teach the kitties some guitar. But uh, segueing from that, speaking of teaching guitar, I'm getting ready to start my yearly annual, I guess is a better way, better way to put it, <laughs> rock and roll summer camp 2K19. It starts Monday the 17th and it goes for the entire week and then we have a big concert for the kids and uh, it's great every year. I'm I'm really, really into music education. I, I teach guitar and banjo and mandolin and everything all week anyway. But this is my kind of like my workshop. And I, we put bands together. And we have a really good, really good time. And there's an episode way, way back from last year where I interviewed some of the kids. And I think I'm probably going to do that again. So, uh, yeah, you're going to be hearing an episode from Rock and Roll Summer Camp 2K19. I also have a GoFundMe page, which I'm probably going to share on our social media. Uh, we are collecting funds for a scholarship because we do this like through a nonprofit. And sometimes, even though it's a nonprofit and there's financial aid, some people, some kids that want to come, they can't afford the tuition to come to the camp. And uh, I've started a little scholarship thing to help get, you know, any, any kid that wants to learn about music or wants to come to the camp should be able to do it. So uh, I'm going to share that on, on social media. And if you guys feel inclined to help out a bit, you know, $5, $2, 50 whatever you got, it helps. And it's going to go straight to rock and roll summer camp, straight to the uh, scholarship fund to help some kids come to camp that maybe couldn't afford to come to camp. So thank you guys so much for everything, uh, supporting the podcast, supporting me and everything that I'm doing. And I really appreciate it. And uh, I love you guys and girls. <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to get out of here, but not before I play a really cool Less Than Jake song. Now, it was hard for me to pick a song, but I wanted to pick something that kind of encapsulated like everything they're about. It's got a little bit of ska, it's got the horns, it's got some rock, it's got some punk, it's got some, you know, anthemic chorus, it's got everything. It is Gainesville Rock City, 
which, you know, it's a shout out to where they started, Gainesville. And there's so many great bands out of Gainesville. We talked about it in the conversation. You got Hot Water Music, Against Me. It, it, it blows my mind the amount of talent and just like some of my favorite bands that come out of a little town in Florida. So, uh, yeah, Gainesville Rock City. It was on Borders and Boundaries, which came out in 2000 on Fat Records. I mean, we talk about Fat Records all the time on this show. I think it's a. Uh, it's a running theme that I like a lot of Fat Records bands. But uh, yeah, we're going to get out of here, but I'm going to play Gainesville Rock City. Love you guys. Thanks for the support. Go tell a friend. Let's get some people excited about music. Let's, let's, let's do this together, man. And if you've got you know a band and you want to tell me what you're up to, I'm not even asking you to sponsor an episode. Just hit me up, podcast at gmail.com. Let me know where you're playing. Maybe I'll talk about your dates on the show or something. I This show is about my love for music and wanting to share it with you guys. And there's so many hardworking bands out there. The bands that sponsor these episodes and help me keep the show going, they're out there on the on the battle lines, man. They're out there just busting their ass trying to make it in an industry that kind of tells you at the beginning, you're never going to make it. But that doesn't matter because when you love music so much, you just push through and no one's going to tell you. And I'm not talking about those people on American Idol that can't sing and their families tell them they can sing. I'm talking about you're in a band and it's you do it for you, man. And you, your love of music and the passion. That's why I always did it. I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not the best songwriter. I just busted my ass and put myself in the right situation. And I had a little tiny, tiny bit of success. There's a lot better people out there than me that never get any success. But I think it's, it's about hard work and putting yourself in situations to where you can, you can get to that next level. So all you bands out there that are busting your ass touring and just, you know, making it happen. I respect the hell out of you guys and girls. And I just, you know, I'm glad you listened to this podcast. So hit me up, you know, leave me a voicemail, whatever. Let me know what your band's up to. I want to know. And if you come through Indiana, I want to hang out with you. Maybe I'll talk to you and get you on the show. I have an unsigned band episode coming soon. I've been trying to put together. So uh, yeah, I'm all about the unsigned bands on this show. So hit me up and let me know. But I'm done talking. So here it is. Gainesville Rock City by Less Than Jake. I will see you guys next week. And I'm going to leave the guest as a surprise. But uh, see you next week. Chris, out.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.